Welcome to Writing the Wrong Way, a podcast for readers who want something strange and exciting and writers who need something new. If you want to support this podcast, please consider buying my new book, The National Gallery. I'm extremely proud of this book because it may be my best book, and it is certainly my most personal and heartfelt book. But just because I say it's heartfelt doesn't mean it isn't full of weirdness, like sonnets about Leatherface from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and elegies for my dead iPhone. Uh, For a limited time, if you buy a copy of the National Gallery directly from me, I will sign it, and I will also send you a signed copy of my previous book, The Politics of Knives, for no additional cost. So you can order the book and get your free book uh, with it at thenationalgallery.ca. That's thenationalgallery.ca. I'm also excited because it is my 10-year anniversary as an author. My first book, Ex Machina, was published in October 2009, and to celebrate, uh, now that it is 2019, as I record this, I've made Ex Machina available as an ebook for the first time. It was never available as an ebook previously, uh, and I'm giving that ebook away for free at jonathanball.com/freebook. So, uh, go to jonathanball.com/freebook, and you can sign up, uh, get all my ex- exciting news uh, when it's you know exciting and new uh, and other free resources that I'll just you know send you as I create them uh, plus a free book um, and again you can go to the nationalgallery.ca uh, if you want to find out more about my new book uh, and get a free uh, book as well when you order that so three two free books and a paid book <laughs> available to you in any case um Let's get into the show. This is a very special episode because it is my 52nd episode, which represents then a year's worth of weekly podcasts. So that, you know, hasn't been the precise schedule, but, you know, here's a year's worth of weekly podcasts delivered to you, uh, dear listener. And I want to do something special for you. Uh, And so when I was in Toronto supporting my book, The National Gallery, I met up with some people and did some recordings, uh, and we're going to share one of them with you today. This is an interview I did with Andrew Piper, you know, big best-selling, th- you know, thriller novelist Andrew Piper. You know, you could walk in a Walmart and find his book. <laughs> you know, now, of course, you could. I prefer you to go, uh, as I'm sure Angie would also, to go to like a fine bookstore like uh, McNally Robinson uh, here in Winnipeg, or you know, uh, any local uh, independent bookstore near you, and find his book. Um, you can find him anywhere. You uh, can sneak in with me uh, to talk to Angie Piper, and. Uh, Adding to the celebratory tone, uh, Andrew and I were hanging out more or less in a you know, bar slash restaurant, uh, and unbeknownst to us, uh, there was a band setting up. <laughs> so, you know, you'll hear some music in the background, and then it'll kind of start to edge into the foreground. Uh, we were told that the band would start, you know, really kind of getting things going an hour later than they did. Uh, so it's kind of an amusing, uh, thing that's happening as, you know, we're trying to talk about like a really pedestrian, not pedestrian, but a very, um, you know, office topic, like, you know, writing outlines. Uh, and, you know, as we're kind of doing that, you know, this is band kind of starting to really rock. So, uh, the sound quality on this one, you know, is a bit of interesting. Uh, I like to say again that this is a celebration. Everybody is celebrating me talking uh, to Piper. 
his you know fine presence and of course you know 52 episodes uh, the anniversary of sorts uh, of this show so uh, without further ado um, let's dive in and meet Andrew Piper so I'm here with Andrew Piper at the Drake Commissary with, you know, some natural uh, music in the background, which we won't name, <laughs> and um, nobody figure out what it is. <laughs> and uh, Andrew Piper is the author of, uh, you know, numerous books. His most recent book is The Homecoming. Uh, how would you describe The Homecoming, Andrew? Because we were just talking about, like, how to describe his work precisely. He usually gets called a thriller author, but, like, how would you describe The yeah. Homecoming? I think the, I think The Homecoming is at its heart a thriller, but it's one that um, that um, quite deliberately, from my point of view, kind of does a couple different things, a couple of unexpected maybe things um, in terms of its genre. So it, it, it opens as a fairly traditional, um, almost like Agatha Christie-esque setup of a family that um, gathers at uh, um, an estate. Um, for the reading of the will upon the, the death of the family's uh, patriarch, and um, and they realize, or at least it's disclosed to them, that the estate that they're on is, is owned by the father and is uh, going to be divided among them on the condition that they stay there for 30 days. And after that, it becomes, you know, sort of, you sort of think, okay, I know this, I know this story. It's going to be sort of a, uh, a murder mystery. People start dying. Who's doing the killing? Um, they can't get away. And in a, in a sense, it is that. But then it becomes something else. It, uh, elements of science fiction are introduced. Um, what may or may not be supernatural horror, even to a degree. And the world opens up at the end to reveal even a kind of dystopian, near-future, apocalyptic uh, setting or background the whole story. So, um, uh, it, it sounds, um, now that I'm saying it, it sounds kind of like, uh, you know, just a goulash, but hopefully it's a little bit more elegantly uh, laid out than that. But it's, yeah, it's a, it's a hybrid of, of about three or four genres. Yeah, I thought the dystopia elements were really interesting, the SF dystopia elements in particular, because, as you say, they do kind of really open up at the end, like, and it's very backgrounded um, throughout the book. So, it was a book that I almost felt like seemed like it could open up into like a, another book or, or, or what have you not that it has to or anything but I, I feel like it, you ca- it was very restrained like how you were handling those elements and they added a lot of like interesting atmosphere and color to it I, I thought because oh, yeah, as you say like, you kind of keep it focused on the situation that they're in the kind of in this compound it starts to seem very supernatural you know very it has a very barreling um, opening in particular uh, like once those disturbing figures start to appear you know outside and so on um, so the one there's a couple of things I wanted to, to kind of talk to you about but one thing that we're hoping to talk about is uh, the, uh, a writing specific uh, element of the writing process, which you know I've converted to, and you, you know, I don't know, you do, which is outlining. Yes. Um, so for the, and one thing I want to just maybe start with was um, when there, there's an old genre like that people don't write anymore, but it was very popular, you know, a couple hundred years ago called conversion narratives so you know the, the, the story who write these memoirs of how they came to be 
know, Christians or whatever. After having like toiled in the darkness, they would then become, you know, Anglican, and they would write a narrative about how that had happened, and they had become converted. You know, I always think of this uh, old genre when I think about outlining, is because I'm I'm very much have become a have my conversion narrative, <laughs> like where I became a convert to writing outlines. So I'm just wondering, like, for you, when you started, you know, writing novels, uh, were you always kind of using outlines or working with that process, or did you kind of convert to it at some point? When did you start with the outlining? Oh, you know, I think um, I, I think I just intuited that um, if I was going to write a novel, I would need um, to to think about it in advance, you know, that I, I sort of, I, I, res- I guess I was daunted enough that I thought, okay, I have no idea how to do this, you know, um, so you should probably get prepared, you should, you know, it's like sort of going in for a hike in the woods, you know, don't, you know, bring water and, 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 and snacks, and um, so I just started, um, again, I guess through a kind of a, um, out of respect for the, the the size of the project, I I kind of thought about okay, what, what's going to happen when, um, and what needs to happen. You know, sort of those sort of big questions. And um, thanks. Thank you. Uh, and um, so I yeah I just I started outlining from the very beginning and I remember and the, more or less that what I did then for my first novel Lost Girls so this is you know I would have been doing this in a, on an apartment wall in in Peterborough in 1996 but um, I sort of stapled together eight and a half by eleven blank pieces of paper and I and um, when I had sort of collected my thoughts and my notes uh, that I, I sort of thought I think I I think I know what happens in this novel. Um, I kind of went through two or three versions of this timeline that I kind of went from floor to ceiling in this in this apartment. And once I'd like decided, okay, here's the sort of the four or five main turns of the story. I filled in each each chapter, and then within each chapter, each scene, and sort of wrote down on these pieces of paper along this line what happens in each scene, even bits of dialogue, directions, reveals, like what needs to be revealed in this scene so that we can get to the next scene. And um, it was quite detailed it was um so not it wasn't a synopsis it wasn't like a in written form it was very graphic but um i found that enormously helpful and i do versions and have done versions of that ever since in every book have you do you still do it fairly graphically like that or do you do more of a written document or both um, it has changed over time, you know. I, mean, I, I um, but mostly yes. It mostly ends up being a thing on the wall, um, and I find it helpful for a few reasons. One is that um, I find that thing on the wall provides a certain psychological um, aid. You know, it's almost like a companion. It's almost like. Um, it, it's, uh, it, it helps prevent that feeling I think we all have when we sort of are trying to write a book at some point or another where you feel lost you just feel like I have no idea where the hell I am I don't know what's going on where am I in this book you know and so the, the outline when it's there on the wall you can look at it and go like well there I am for better or for worse here I am on the along the pathway through the forest um, so that there's there's company and it allows me to kind of if I'm if I really believe in the outline and I don't start until I do then I can sort of jump around so that if I'm in a if I'm at a point in the story or even in a scene where I'm like this sucks I don't I don't like being here this isn't working 
instead of just like, well, damn it, I'm going to hammer this out until it works, and, and uh, you know, maybe I'll go back and fix it later, I can jump forward to, a, to a, like, oh, this is going to be fun to write, so I'll just go right to the part where this person gets dismembered, um, you know, uh, in the shower, and then go back to that problematic scene when maybe I have a solution to it or something that can kind of kick it into shape, which is, I think, really much harder to do if you're just pantsing it, you know, if you're just kind of uh, diving in. I th- and I think having taught a few workshops I th- on this topic, I think a lot of the time failed novels, where by failed novel I mean incomplete novels, are incomplete because, not because they're bad ideas, but, but because the writer got tired of their own story at some midpoint because they hadn't sort of thought through through the whole story, then you get frustrated, then you feel like the thing's failed, and then it just ends up in the bottom of your closet. And I think an outline could have at least seen, you know, half of those projects to their to their end. Whether they're good or not is a separate question. But um, so I think the, I think the outline, as you can tell, I get quite you know enthusiastic about it. Um, but I think it, it helps it helps on a, in a number of ways. But mostly it 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 helps you get to the end. I do most of mine on cue cards because I come from like a screenwriting background where cue cards are really ubiquitous and um, I think that's one of the most valuable things that I've found is this, that non-linear approach you can now now you don't have to be stuck in your word document I changed my software you know program to a program called Scrivener that specifically so I can more easily work non-linearly and just that being able to jump ahead or you know, mm-hmm. around when you're stuck is so valuable yeah um, because so often you'll get the idea for something you're not working on right now. And, uh, you know, you can just put the idea in your notebook. But you could also just start writing that scene and, you know, uh, you know, move around in that kind of free-floating way. But it's very easy to get lost, right? For sure. Uh, I've found, at least, you know, unless you have some master plan. Even if you change the plan, as long as you have, like, some sort of, you know, vague or like as detailed as possible like notion of like how how that, that whole thing might work one, one question I kind of have around it though is um, so before you had started doing like mapping out your first uh, uh, novel in this way had you um, uh, had you done a lot of uh, like what was your I guess your background as a writer at that point, because I know that you were initially doing a law degree. Like you, mm-hmm. you got your law degree, mm-hmm. correct? Were you called to the bar? And, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, and so um, and then you switched into this novel career. So I'm curious, just personally, like I know a number of writers who've done that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yes, like went all the way through law school, like you know, and so on. But then you know, we're just done with that and became writers instead. So I'm just curious about that. Like, why did you do that? Oh, and then two. Um, what was sort of then also your your preparation before you started doing this outline and working on that first? Uh, um, well, to, you know, to the first question, you know about about you know law school. It, it, I was um, I studied English for an undergrad and and, and enjoyed it, and so I stuck around, did a master's degree in English. This is all at, at McGill University, and um, and I. I was, you know, at that point where I sort of there's the crossroads. It was kind of, you know, was always was always there, but then it became, you know, right in my face, which is, are you going to you know, pursue the PhD? Are you going to sort of become an uh, pursue 
academic work or um, something else. You get, it's time to get out. You, get, you, you can't just sort of compile MAs. Uh, well, maybe you could, but um, I didn't. I didn't want to. So, and then I recognized that oh, I probably could do this work, you know, on the ag- academic side. But I looked around and I realized, wow, there's a lot of people who are way better at this than I am. It was one of those recognitions of like, this isn't. You could fake it, maybe to some degree, but there's people who are far more. Just their skill sets are, are stronger at academic work than yours. So. I, I went to law school for that same, I think, sort of set of reasons that a lot of people end up there, which is like, you know, what do you do with kind of generally, you know, sort of above average verbal and, and reading skills, um, but, you know, you, you, and you sort of need a job. Um, but I recognized very, quite early on at law school that I, that I had a similar sort of feeling as I did when I stared down a PhD, which is, um, I don't think I want to do this. I could do this, but it would, there would be some degree of, of um, you know, mimicry or, or, or something deeply disingenuous if I did. Um, but I've been writing to answer now to you know the sort of the, the the second question. You know, um, I've been writing all along. So whether you know through high school and and, I, and as an undergraduate, I was writing short stories and sending them out to journals, and some of them were being published in, in uh, magazines and journals. And um, but it was all they're all exclusively you know short stories. So my first book was in fact a collection of short stories. It was published with a small press, Porcupine's Quill, and. Uh, I kind of the reward that I gave myself for completing the bar admission course was not you know a lot of my colleagues were like taking a year off and you know backpacking through Europe and I moved to Peterborough and wrote a novel because I, that's what I really really wanted to do and um, so I guess I sort of had that you know which brings us to that you know um, so the law is behind me I was I was pretty resolved that I wasn't going to do it even if money forced me to do it I would rather be I was a bartender so I was like oh maybe I'll just be a, a career bartender who writes short stories on the side I mean it wouldn't be wouldn't be the first time someone did that um, but then I was like okay I had some savings from from my year articling on on, on Bay Street at, at, a, at a big firm so uh, I had some some cash and wrote a book wrote a novel but again I think I had a sense of like you can't you can't waste your time here like this because the clock's going to run out. So it wasn't a really kind of loosey-goosey, let's just see how this goes, um, which, you know, so I was like, okay, an outline. You should really, what is this, however kind of crazy this idea is, um, never mind that, but just map out the story so you, do, you can be more efficient. So I had a real, right from the beginning, I guess, I had a really strong, pragmatic approach to, to the process. Yeah, I, I, I advise people often when they resist this outlining process that they should, I tell them that they should learn to do it. <laughs> Even yeah. if they don't want to do it and if they don't do it, because it's on the pragmatic side, like it is a skill that you can sell to people. Like you can, you know, get hired to write a treatment for a film sure. or, or yeah. what have you. And you can use that and you can, on the other side of it, you, know, you can write that outline. You'll have to at some point write a synopsis you want to be pitching this book to a publisher anyway you have to at some point you know very good you have to at some point you know um, maybe you want to write a grant proposal you need to have that proposal and so on I, I find it like even if you don't want to use it it helps you clarify the idea yes and as you say um, there's an efficiency to that but there's also the level of like 
do I even want to do this idea? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> have you have you had that happen uh, to you like much where you've like been pursuing the idea and then at a certain point in the outline you're like, you know what? I don't want to write this. Book. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, yes. At least um, at least twice, if not if not more, I've got quite deep into the outlining uh, of a book and and um, and yes, felt like no, you know, I see it. I've made it work. It's not that the outline sort of has crumbled. There's a there's a novel that's that that works. I don't want to write it because um, it didn't pass that test. And I think that's one of the real benefits of of outlining is that it, you know we can all sort of the assumption when we talk about I've got an idea for a story is that it's you know just because it comes from you that it's it's that it's good even even within your own sense of judgment. You know so. Um, so just having an idea isn't a sufficient reason to, to then spend the next year writing a book. And an outline, just sort of thinking, okay, what, then this, and then this, what, what about this, what, how, why does she do that? Are really all different versions of one more central question is, which is, why am I the one to write this? You know, why, why am I even doing this? And that, that, that should be obvious, and I think, you know, I, I say this sometimes, Again, it's sort of about a workshop setting, and people are kind of like, you know, they, they, they think I'm joking. They sort of laugh like, oh, you know, that goes without saying. But it really doesn't. Like, why why are you the one to write this story? And that's not to say that you know, there has to be some personal element. It's not, it's not some kind of biographical element. Um, but just, do you have the passion for it? Do you have, do you kind of, do you get excited when you see the thing on, you know, when you see the thing outlined, are you like, oh, man. If I don't feel like... I really want to tell this story because I want to take people on this ride because it's a really I've designed a really cool ride I want to take you on then it's not going to you know it's not going to work so again it has that an outline provides that test and it also is sort of like I'll say one sort of more kind of this sort of a particular thing about an outline and it's this has taken me somewhat longer to kind of realize is the we sort of think about beginnings and ends a lot like so where does it start okay what's your way in and how does it end and those are important but I've come to see that the most important turn in this in the story is actually in the middle like what's yeah. the midpoint you know what which you know in a kind of conventional sort of screenwriting sense is kind of like you know the low point typically for the protagonist it's where she's farthest from the thing that she wants or is, is seeking or it can sometimes be like in the case of the homecoming it can be the point where the terms of the story get really flipped on their on their side, so a big reveal, or it can be where the protagonist realize, oh wait a minute, I'm wrong, you know, like I I, I was wrong to sort of, you know, it's like I often cite uh, E.T. Spielberg's movie, you know, which is kind of perfectly constructed, but in E.T. the midpoint is Elliot is sort of thinking like I need to keep my friend, the alien E.T. He's going to be my friend. I need to protect my friend. I need to keep him a secret. And at the midpoint, he realizes, no, if I'm going to be a really good friend to E.T., I need to help him go home. So the story changes. What the story is about, in that case, alters in a really dramatic way at the midpoint. And so, for me, one of the additional things that an outline does is helps you discover in advance what I think of as the aboutness of a story, which is different from what the story is about. What the boat is what the story is about is some kind of, you know, sequential synopsis kind of like this happens, this happens, this happens, and then. But the aboutness is often, or ought to be, um, 
a more unexpected or deeper or, or, or um, psychologically kind of rich, um, surprising aspect to the story that I think you can only arrive at through doing a really kind of thorough, um, you know, uh, surface about you know the, the the surface of the of the story the story structure. So again, it's not just sort of. I think people hear like the term outline and they sort of like, oh yeah, that's engineering, right? It's architecture. And in fact, it all leads back to a sort of a, a more deeply uh, reveal of character. Well, for me, it, it's even uh, like it is architecture, and I really appreciate like that. I started getting really interested in fiction and writing novels specifically for me when I was you know young, and I was reading Stephen King and Salman Rushdie. And when I started reading Salman Rushdie in particular, I had read this Italian verses, and um, because I had heard you weren't supposed to read Italian verses, so that got that hooked me right. But it has like this bizarre architecture, and I started and with it completely separate, non-interconnecting, you know, narratives that just sort of this one character floats through. And it was, you know, very unusual, you know, having had read, you know, Stephen King, where you're just barreling forward, you know, in this very clean and tight, you know, plot, although he doesn't, although King would poo-poo outlining. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and, and having read, you know, this more complicated, um, strange architecture of his story, I got really interested in, like, that, um, uh, like the, the the narrative voice and the architecture of like what is a book and what I like to what I always think about is um, I always think like so much of the work of writing is figuring out like what is the thing what is it and then trying to like figure out like at its heart what is it and how do you make it more like what it is <laughs> yeah you know it which is it sounds esoteric to say it that way but it sounds mystical but I think that the tools to get it to that point are these very, you know, workmanlike tools, you know, uh, and I, I feel like, I wish there was a better, cooler word for outlining. Yeah, <laughs> because yeah. It really is about, like, just figuring out, like, what is the core of this, yeah, I like the aboutness of it, because I feel like it's almost like the, you're getting to, like, you're trying to define the aboutness of the project, and then you're just trying to, like, isolate the, the major bones in that skeleton, you know, and, and which things have to be here so it can stand and move and so on. Uh, and it's, I, I, it's a great way to put it, like, the aboutness, because I feel so much of when I go and do editing, I find, is I'm going back to that outline, I'm just stripping everything back to make it more like what it is, mm -hmm. and less like what I maybe thought it was, or um, even maybe, you know, things I planned, but now in retrospect I can see, you know, just yeah. aren't working out. And then just on a practical level, in terms of efficiency, like you say, it just is nice to have a bit of a checklist, like, you know, so because I like, you know, I sometimes say you can't, it's impossible to write a book, but you can sit down and you can write a scene, you can write a page, you can write, you know, a chapter, but, you know, you can't just sit down and write a book. Like, I think Tony Burgess has done it, but, like, almost nobody, like, sits down and writes a book start to finish. You know, it's like, uh, you really have to um, break it apart, and you can't have passion, like, the whole... 700 hours you're working on this book you know like some days you just won't like yeah. feel passionate about it but if you want to you know have a career and have you know and do you know good work uh, you have to just keep working you know and, and I feel like part of the outline's job is also just to keep you going and keep you on track when you maybe aren't in the mood <laughs> for and sure other, 
and then after it's already determined that as you say used it, you've used it as a tool to figure out yes I am passionate about this and then you can kind of go back to it and remember that you're passionate <laughs> like on those days that you don't feel passion you can remember like why you are the one to write the story on those days that you know you just don't feel like the one to write the story anymore it feels like it's gone but you know you can go back to that document or whatever it is those cue cards and that map and you can figure out um, you can just remember sort of who you were <laughs> when you were doing better <laughs> with this yeah. book yeah you know or you can you can you can um, another kind of carrot on the end of the stick could be uh, you know a really really cool reveal right and and not yeah. just a reveal like it's so it, it, I mean something more granular than that so it, let's say um, here's a, sort of the bad, bad pitch of it but a moment where we realize oh no the killer isn't the guy in the black co- cloak it's the cop right so so that's the reveal and you sort of you could maybe um, if you're just sort of concentrating on um, the about of the story you're just like okay I'm just going to write my way to that moment I really, don't really know how the reveal works or yeah. you know exactly when it happens but I just know that we're going to go from the thinking that it's this guy to it's the cop but if you in an outline you sort of think about in advance well how does that outline work how, what's the best way that, that, that what, when, when should that reveal happen and how should it happen in relation to the protagonist um, let's say so if the cop is someone who um, oh I don't know um, uh is a, 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 a homophobe who's a sort of, you know, um, and that's his character, and he's sort of like, you know, we don't like this guy, but hey, you know, he's sort of, I guess, on the side of trying to catch the killer. You might think, uh, you know, I know, I'll have the scene happen where we discover him at like a, you know, at a, at, a, at a gay bar or at a leather bar, and that sort of like, that, you know, this is, this this pitch is going south fast, but you know, you yeah, The principle I see what you're saying. Right. You're thinking through what's the best option, unless you try options without having to write the whole scene. <laughs> right. That's right, and you and you and then so then if you have something like oh I this is going to be delicious this is going to totally work I really w- want to work toward this moment on those bad days you can say well come on like you, you want to reward yourself with this great reveal right like if you can get a reader to that moment they're going to really you know this is all going to be worthwhile as opposed to again that kind of like well here we go and I guess if I just kind of write a hundred thousand or ninety thousand words we'll call it a book. Um, yeah. It can feel pretty hopeless pretty fast. It's, um, uh, this is a bit of a side note, but what do you do on the bad days? Like, what's your, you know, ritual on the bad days? When you get up and you're just... Not feeling it? Yeah. For whatever reason. Typically, I would, I would, um, read. Like, read a book yeah. that I already admire, um... And so, so read a, you know, and just open it, open it in the middle. So, you know, just choose a writer that you love, and just read a couple of their pages. And that, for me, is sort of like that, that sort of um, aspirational impulse to like, oh, I want to, you know, I want that. I want to write something as good as that. It brings me back to it. Does it? it, it, it you sort of think it like, wouldn't that be discouraging <laughs> on a bad well, day? Well, I had I found it so discouraging. I took all the books out of my office because I was doing. That. I know, okay. I put them in the basement, but but I but you know. Okay, that days, might be bad advice. Other days it works, <laughs> you know. But, but you know, so that's what you find. You you just gotta try, kind of remember yourself, remind yourself of what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and sort of being being in the hand, you know, sort of enjoying just enjoying someone else's sentences gets me sort of like, ooh, ooh, ooh I want to do that. I want to do that. Yeah. 
And if that fails, um, just you know, I think changing a physical, changing your physical situation. So go outside, go for a walk. Um, don't think about, don't think about the project. Just do something else. Um, and another one. This is maybe sort of um, peculiar to me, but a, a hot. I find a shower, a long hot shower, often will provide. If the problem that you're having is like, uh, how do I get in and out of this scene, or if it's mechanical in some way, showers for me. I kind of go in and I'm like, oh yeah. He arrives by the, these means. He learns this and that, and then he, you know, the really kind of like, ugh, sort of, you know, the plumbing work can be done in a shower. <laughs> I was, uh, when you were talking about midpoints, uh, David Annandale is the writer who told me about midpoints. And he, he mentioned how The Shining has this midpoint where halfway through the book, uh, the, the, uh, one of the, girl, the girl in the bathtub, I think it was, reaches for him and grabs him. So I might be misremembering that, but there's a moment in any case where it becomes clear that these things are real and can mm. touch me, and um, you know all the stakes are now clear. Uh, you know, and I've since you know started to really th- like like you. I, I've really come around to this idea of like midpoints and noticing like there's this middle position in so many different genres sometimes it's just intrinsic to the genre like in a horror story almost always halfway through they realize the monster is true and real yep. whereas before that they've been just ignoring that it's real or denying it in some way you know in, in, in certain like thrillers they'll uh, like if it's a wrongfully accused person halfway through they'll figure out who's actually doing it is the person who committed the crime and then they go from being chased to you know chasing somebody you know I, I see that midpoint structure so much and I find like that's such a useful those whether it's a midpoint or something else like those structural moments as you say in the middle are so um, they're so important and they do get short shrift relative to like an opening and a closing or yeah. even in a scene like the beginning and ending of a scene you know are important but that middle structuring is often just so um valuable to just have a, an idea of an advance and you know I, I used to just I, I used to resist outlining but then I caught myself uh, where I realized that what I was doing was I was sitting down to just pants it but I was actually just sitting down thinking a little bit about well what should I write I was like mapping the scene out in my head and I would get up and like sometimes like stand in different positions in the room <laughs> and just kind of yeah try to figure out what the person would do next and what I realized was oh I'm just outlining but in a really lousy and idiotic manner <laughs> why don't I do a real outline mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and then uh, since I tried that it just you know was revelatory um, when you're actually putting together this document now you know how, how is it different like what is it actually look like so when you're so for the homecoming for example like like what would that outline look like is it um like is it you know 10 single space pages like what what is it well in the case uh, uh, i'll give you a <clears throat> so the homecoming the outline for that book was uh you know very much like the previous ones in the sense that it would be um i sort of stapled these pieces of paper together so they're a long tail <clears throat> And I get a, a ruler or the side of a book and I write a line right down, not the middle, but sort of like a third of the way th- in from the, from the left margin or side. And then, so that, and then I would put in like the three or four big points first. So um, the beginning, what's our opening, what's our way in? What do we see in the first page? <clears throat> End of, uh, you know, the inciting incident. What's the thing that changes 
normalcy, the disruption of normalcy. So someone comes into town or we find the dead body or um, uh, something that alters our regularity. End of act one, um, which is, I sort of think of as like the point of no return. So we sort of feel like, the prote- from the pe- protagonist's point of view, prior to the end of act one, she could be like, you know what, I'm out of this novel. I don't, you know, I, I don't want to proceed with this story. But after the end of act one, she's all in, for better or for worse. Then the midpoint, as we've discussed. Then end of act two, which is, is a, okay, we kind of now, we're pretty much entirely now equipped with the terms of the story. There's not going to be any sort of changes of the rules, but now, so that the remaining big question is, how is it going to end? Are they going to succeed? Who's going to survive? Whatever the, whatever the case may be. And then act three is kind of a propulsive series of revelations and actions that take us to the conclusion. So I kind of put those four or five points on the, on the map, on the line, and then, and then it's filling in. So all the different scenes, all the sort of like, I want to write a scene in this place, um, because that, or um, the events that have to happen to make those four or five big turning points make sense. And so it ends up being a sort of a six foot long, or because I, and then I pin it to the wall, so it's a six foot high um, line. And then I'll have on that left side, the different sort of numbers, so like sort of, you know, the different scenes. So one to 140. Um, the contents of the scene on the right and then I'll even add a, a, a sort of a sign in very rough terms word counts in advance so I'll say well this scene it, you know, it's necessary but it doesn't it shouldn't don't make a meal out of it Andrew so this should be 500 words this is a bigger moment was the big showdown with the villain or whatever um, so this, this should be like 3,000 words because I think sometimes we can sort of uh, short shrift important moments or Inexplicably, we've all read sort of manuscripts or, or, or you know books that don't work. Where you're like, why are we here? Why are we just spending so much time in this place? And I think it's because, or at least in part, the the, the writer hasn't sort of sort of you know prioritized or created a hierarchy of scenes. You know, this is a more important scene. We should spend more time in it. So that aids in pacing. Um, so that you're not again sort of you don't or it also prevents maybe like oh I think this is a good book right now it's 240,000 words I'm going to have to you know rip a good book out of it maybe um, but when you ascribe um, word counts in advance it again it, it largely prevents that that particular problem so having said all that it can it, it changes too so sometimes that, that that outline on particular books for whatever reason it just requires those four points and I, or the four or five big turn points and I just kind of like more or less jump in at an earlier point the book that I'm working on outlining now for whatever reason started, started as like a like a synopsis like a written synopsis and I've been kind of revising it like a sort of it's a five page basically just kind of a a pitch but in written form which is unusual for me and for whatever reason it's kind of it seems that it wants to be done that way um so sometimes the story, the ty- kind of story that you're writing, will ask for a particular kind of outline. Um, but for me, no matter what kind of variations will be applied to a particular outline, it always in my mind is is a line. That's not to say that the storytelling is linear, per se, or, or that it's um, sequential. I can I can mess with the time a lot within that line, but it's still a. It's still a kind of a, you know, a, a marathon, and here's the map. So, how, 
how long would it take you to do that if you're doing a fuller thing like that? Like, how much time do you spend on that? How much time do you spend like outlining and planning in that way, generally speaking? I spend more proportionally on that part as I from you know as I proceed from book to book. Yeah. So the what I call the pre-writing. So this just sort of thinking about it, researching the researching the other other directly. Like, hey, you know, what's what's you know Washington State look like in November to the more kind of you know kind of loosey goosey um, hey this kind of feels like this movie maybe I should rewatch that movie to see if I can sort of you know is there a mood or a, a, a gesture I can I can borrow from it um, compiling ideas uh, character ticks um, just a really kind of random it looks like and my wife will sort of attest that it looks like I'm doing nothing um, but the doing nothing uh, is I spend more time on that on that and because I I feel like when then it sort of it ends that process ends with the outline and then I begin writing and when the outline is that solid I find that from there to first draft has shrunk over the years for me not because I don't I, I don't think it's because I'm, I'm careless it's that then I'm really really excited I'm raring to go and it's like you know I have a dog on the leash and you take it off and it's running you know it's, it's I'm really really excited I know where I'm going I can get more words written in a day because I'm, 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 I'm sure of what I'm, what I'm doing so the first draft takes a lot less so to answer your question you know maybe sort of if the pre-writing is like three or four or five months and then first draft can be done in in two or three months. Yeah, I find it, it people resist sometimes doing the outlining or pre-writing process like that because they just, for whatever reason, but one reason sometimes is they, they tell me, well, it's a lot of extra work. I find it's just, it's less work. Like, yeah. It works so much faster. Yeah. You know, and it's, um, it, I mean, for me, I don't know, everyone's different. I've gone to the point where I feel like unless you're doing some pre-writing process that has some level of rigor, I don't see how somebody can be a professional writer. Like, I don't see how it could be physically possible. Like, I know people do it, but, like, I don't know how it happens. Because yeah. just the ability to even just figure out how long this thing is going to take me, if it's, you know, going well or bad or whatever, you know, how, um, and, um, as you say, like, getting into the, getting immersed in it and getting excited about it, um, I find like it's a more fun experience in some, with the outline pre-writing process, and I also find like it just work is more efficient as well. You, know, you save yourself so much time in editing. I do less drafts yes. Yes. Uh, are required because so even if my first draft took me as long, like I would do less drafts. You know, uh, you know at least for me anyway. Yeah. Um, I think that's true. And the other thing that I think is interesting and useful about it or, is, um, I, I think you already mentioned this, but, like, you can just, like, get bored of it real, you, like, you figure out real fast, like, I don't care about these people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, I just don't care enough, you know, or, or there's just, everything's there, but why I should be there, as you were saying before, like, you know my take on it is too much like this thing it's too you know I can't get that twist or whatever is me in there um, it's just so much easier to find that thing out in like a pre-writing process than you're on page 300 yeah brand 80,000 words you know, and you hate it and you hate it <laughs> and you don't know how to fix it or it's fine but yeah. you don't know if you want to do it anymore yeah um, you know which 
as you say, like I think a lot of quote-unquote failed books kind of maybe result from people just losing steam in that fashion. Whereas like if you've got the outline, you've got the plan, you could lose steam and still like know where you are. Like one of the nice things about what you're describing that check is that your 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 sort of timeline of the book or whatever you want to your outline mm. on the wall kind of thing. Is, uh, you can also like look at that and like see like where you're at, you know, yeah, what totally. you've done, and what. And so there's like progress that's visible or, or, or clear. Whereas so much of the time when you're just working on a book, I find you just don't know where you are. You know, <laughs> like uh, yeah. if you don't have a plan, even if you don't stick to that plan, like at least you know, you know, you're making progress. Whereas you know, if you write 500 words that day, you know you. Accomplish something as opposed to just there's more, bunch of more words. Yeah, in your life. And there can be those rewards of of progress, as you say, and also rewards of the beats in the story that are that are going to be really really fun. You know, whether it's like um, you know, in, in this beat we realize uh, something unexpected. Yeah. So when you have that mapped out. It's just fun to kind of get to a point where, like, I know if I just if I get into the next through the next thousand words, I'm gonna have this, you know, this message written on the in the mirror in in, in lipstick that's going to not only move the story forward, but it's gonna, you know, um, it's gonna be it's gonna be startling to the to the reader as well as to yourself in a way, right? Whereas I think if you're just sort of like I'm making this up as I go along, those moments are kind of I'm not sure how you arrive at them, but there is a real, I think that, you know, the aversion to outline, I think, comes from a place of, uh, oh, um, you know, I, 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 there's a romanticism to, if I just sit down, this thing's going to be magical and happen. It's, it, it's, I think, people have said this to me, that the outline, they see the outline as sort of anti-magic, or it, it, it sort of, um, you're trying to turn it into a... When in fact I think you know the you know the outline for all of its other sort of practical uses we've just you know uh, discussed, it's really fun. Like I, I find it as fun, if not more fun, than 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 the sentence making. I look at like a sonnet. Like you wouldn't tell a poet like, oh, you're writing a sonnet. You must be an idiot. <laughs> There's no creativity there. It's right. like no, like all art comes from the constraint. Uh, on a, you know a system, and then you are creative inside that system. And so the outline is sort of like you're inventing a, a form, basically for the thing. Like maybe you're borrowing from you know the horror novel or whatever it is, but you know you're now like thinking through like how you're going to do it differently, uh, and mapping as you say like the, the major. You're making sure it will work. You're not going to waste your time for the next year working yeah. on this thing. And uh, just it, you know. And you also don't have to like slavishly follow the outline. No. Like uh, when I, I, what I often find is that if my thing is going exactly according to plan, I know something's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I, I have to like deviate from the plan, not to a certain degree, or it's just I'm not thinking hard enough. I wasn't, you know, working because once you're on the ground, it's you know the world's different. But um, there's things you can't anticipate. Your character does something. But, you know, but I think it is a false, I agree with you, like, it's, it's a very false um, dichotomy like, to think that, oh, you know, like, 
assist some sort of planning means you can't be spontaneous. Oh, no, you're completely right. Yeah, the, 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 and it's not. You can, you can. There's all sorts of deviations. I'll give you an example in the in the demon in the demonologist in the outline, which was otherwise pretty much completely adhered to. There was a, a character called O'Brien who was initially conceived of as an as a older man, a professor colleague of the main character, who our main character would sort of check in with periodically as he's on the road. And this old older man, he was now not part of the story. He was back in New York. He was just a voice on the phone, a sounding board. And then when I started writing the book, O'Brien just abruptly became a woman of the same age as our character, our protagonist, who ends up joining him on his journey at, at, sort of a, at, at the midpoint. And I even tried to, you know, I tried to, to, to sort of like, okay, that's fun, haha, you, you've played a trick on me, you've, you've pushed your way into the book. I tried to sort of kill her off, it's like, okay, fun's over, you're dead now, you're gone. And she wouldn't, you know, she, she came back. And so sometimes it can be that, you know, that, that, that sort of fun characters won't do, they don't always always do what they're, they're told. And, and I think that, you know, in that case, the book benefited from that character showing up when she showed up, having a larger role to play. Um, so no, it's not like, it's not like, oh, I've made, I've made an outline, now I'm, I'm uh, you know, my, I'm handcuffed. It's, it's, as I say, like for me, that kind of what ifing, and then I sort of like verbally pitch it. I think this is something where, uh, again, in, in workshops I do, and it's amazing how people will be like, oh, I'm kind of stuck on this idea. And they well, just tell me about it. Like, just in 30 seconds, tell me the idea. And they're like, well, it's about blah, 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 blah. And you see them get stuck in the verbal thing. It's like, I don't have to say, hey, there's a problem, or you need to do this. They hear it. And they'll come to this like, oh, I should actually, it should really be told from the milkman's point of view. Oh, my God. And they've been stuck on this for a year. And over the course of maybe five minutes just verbalizing it, they see the problem and the solution. So outlines do exactly that. It's basically pitch self-pitching. And I don't know why as writers we sort of like, no, we never do that. We never share the idea. We don't talk to ourselves out loud about the idea. We sort of assume like, no, no, I carry it around in this, in my head. And it's like, I, I don't, and I do this myself, by the way, it, it, but it's, 90% of, I think, the story's problems are a result of of presuming that this is a private process or, or an internal process or a silent process. Uh, when, in fact, again, sort of like verbalizing, outlining, they're all, they're all gestures toward externalizing and manifesting the story in some way. Then you can look at it or hear it and go, oh, the problem's obvious, and so is the solution. But no, no, we insist on, you know, removing ourselves into the sort of the, the private space, not sharing the idea, um, sitting on it, and and then we just kind of suffer alone. I, yeah, I feel like it's a part of an investment that the industry has, or at least people in the culture have in... Uh, this romantic idea of, you know, being a genius rather than just being a guy who takes ditches, you know, and, like, is, is doing the intellectual work. We're getting played off, so I'm going to have to let you yes. know. <laughs> but I appreciate you talking to me about one of my bugbears. Uh, and, uh, and everyone, go read 
the homecoming. And uh, I also love the Killing Circle in particular. Although, you know, all badges books are fine. Books you should pick up. Thanks, Jonathan. All right, cheers. <laughs>